Get ready for adventure with NPR's only actual play, Dungeons & Dragons podcast. KOSU brings you Red Dirt D&D, featuring the world's greatest role-playing game, including music and sound effects like a classic radio show. Join our seasoned Red Dirt D&D players as they take you on a thrilling adventure through the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Catch new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Midwest Game Fest Online Edition. Uh, good Sunday morning to you. Uh, I think some of our panelists here, it might not be Sunday morning anymore, uh, but the good Sunday morning to you. We are uh, coming to you with the Star Trek Adventures panel for Midwest Game Fest Online. If you haven't yet, if this is your first time watching the panel here on the stream, I would highly recommend you go back and check out some of the other stuff. There's a lot of cool panels um, that we've been doing for the last several days, all the way from starting on Thursday. Um, and there's live plays, there's interviews, there's like, you know, watching paints, all sorts of cool stuff. If uh, an in-person con is also your thing, I would highly recommend you check out Midwest Game Fest in person coming up in April 2024. You can find out more about Midwest Game Fest online and Midwest Game Fest in person by going to MidwestGameFest.com and or joining their Discord. Um, it's a local con right here in Kansas City, and I'm really happy to support them. Today, though, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Adventures, which is the uh, Star Trek RPG put out by Modiphius Entertainment and using their 2D20 system. And we've got a really, really great cast and crew here for you today. Lots of really cool designers and personalities. I'm going to go through and let them introduce themselves here in just a moment. Uh, my name is Zach Goins. I'm going to be your host or one of your hosts uh, for the for the panel today. Um, you can find me by going and looking for World of Game Design. I'm the producer over at World of Game Design. I'm also the president of Tabletop Fanatics. We do a lot of conventions all across the country, and we do a lot of panels just like this one at those conventions and on our Twitch stream at twitch.tv forward slash WOGD live um with that let's go ahead and do some introductions uh andrew let's start with you who are you hi i'm andrew bishkinski and i am a first and foremost a huge fan of star trek adventures so and i'll be kind of uh helping zach moderate this here panel and um yeah i've had the pleasure of playing a lot of star trek adventures some with wiz Mr. Al Spader, who we'll get to in a minute. I'm in a wonderful stream with, with him, and I got to run it at last Gen Con, where I met the JD and Michael, so I kind of uh, had the pleasure of meeting everybody on this panel. So um, I think that makes me qualified, but we'll, we'll see as we go. Uh, I just want to mention real brief before we kind of kick off to introductions. Um, in terms of this panel, this is a panel on Star Trek Adventures because we don't want to spend the entire panel teaching the game because that would be in, a, in its own panel on its own i guess um we will be talking a little bit about game mechanics and folks are going to try to keep it 
to lay person knowledge, but uh, we're going to talk a lot about different episode types and just if you love Star Trek, but if you're not an expert on, on the 2D20 system, uh, we'll hopefully still keep it entertaining for you. So because for the most part, we all just love Star Trek and it'll be about how we play Star Trek. So yeah, that's my intro. And um, is that going to throw it off over Excellent. to next? For sure. And I will say that if you are interested in Star Trek Adventures after watching this panel, um, you can get the, I think there's a free quick start over on Modiphius.us and Modiphius.net that you can download and check out. And there's a mountain of content for Star Trek Adventures that's out there. Uh, I think I think Modiphius has been putting it out for eight or nine years now, if I'm correct. Um, so there's a mountain of really great books. They put out an adventure digitally every single month on the on the web store. So there's a lot of content uh, for you to peruse and dive into. Al, why don't you go next here? How's it going? Uh, I'm Al Spader. Uh, I've uh, been a content creator for Star Trek Adventures for a little over two years now um, and have helped uh, write, uh, I think, like five or six different books at this point. So I'm excited to be here. Perfect. Thanks, Al. JD. Hey, uh, I've been on Star Trek Adventures since the beginning, um, and uh, it's just been a really wild ride. Um, I've gotten to help with, like, I think about, like, eight books at this point, and getting to meet fellow fans who are writers and just being in the writer's room with them, and, like, I learned so much from them. So it's just been really great to work on it. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, J.D. And Michael. Hi, I'm Michael Dismuke. I am a blogger on Continuing Missions, continuingmissionsta.com, which is the number one site for Star Trek fan, adventure fans. I've been running that uh, with some other uh, great bloggers for about ooh, eight years since the, since the game came out. Um, I'm also a co-host of Continuing Conversation, which is a weekly podcast with the um, product manager, a project manager for Star Trek Adventures, Jim Johnson, that comes out every week on Fridays. I'm also a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures on my 16th publication with them so far. We got stuff coming out all the way through 2025. I'm also um, the the lead writer for Captain's Log, which was our launch into solo RPG. That's who I am. Fantastic. There's a lot of cool stuff to think about and wrap around there, especially the solo stuff, which uh, which is very cool. All right, Andrew, I'm going to turn it over to you, though, as you're going to be our through line negotiator. Uh, uh, sure. Um, well, we'll start with an icebreaker, sort of keep it as, you know, short along as you want, kind of a brief origin origin story type of thing, but not with the game, because you've all mentioned that you sort of your connection to the game, but with Star Trek, what is a, I don't know, formative experience that you've had or a notable experience you had that brought you into the world of Star Trek just in general? And we're going to go backwards for this one, and I'm going to start with Michael. Um, of course, I'm forgetting the name of the episode, but I know someone here will know it. So my very first episode, my dad made me sit down and watch was TOS, the one where the guy's faces are black and white on each side. Someone? Let this be your last battlefield. Thank you. Exactly. That's exactly. I think I knew someone knew it. I, um, so uh, my dad sat me down, had me watching at the end, asked me, what do you think that was about? And I probably was about five years old. Um, and that's when I my very first episode experience was, oh, this is the social. This is the social. I automatically looked each episode. I said, every episode, I want you to look at it and watch what they're talking about in the news. And it also made me love history, too, because then I had to figure out what was going on at that time that they were talking about, like Vietnam or something like that. So uh, that I thank my dad for that every day that that he introduced me with that episode. 
That's that's amazing. JD, how about you? I grew up in the 80s, so um, I remember when Star Trek The Next Generation came out because even though I was a little, little kid, my mom was a Trekkie and uh, she would come home from work and then it would come on in syndication on Fox 59 and we would usually make like a big bowl of mac and cheese or grilled cheese sandwiches and we would just watch it. So for me, whenever I watch Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, it's it's it just reminds me of my childhood. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, Next Generation was it for me as well. Um, Al, how about yourself? What's your connector to Star Trek? So my first uh, Star Trek experience that I really uh, remember uh, was when I was a kid, I, I was big into oceanography. Like I thought I was going to be an oceanographer uh, when I grew up. Uh, and I remember sitting in the theater watching Star Trek four, and I remember seeing Spock uh, swim up to do the mind meld with uh, with with the whale, and I was like, "That is one of the coolest things in the world, right?" Here we have like an alien on a spaceship, like you know, like it, it, I was I was thought it was so cool, and um, so that was my first memory. And then of course, Next Generation started up, and that became like uh, family television every week, um, you know, straight through till the end. Cool. All right, so we're going to dive in a little bit. So the way um, we wanted to structure this panel is by talking about the different episode types, which is something Michael's already kind of alluded to in his origin story. It's like, what's this episode? And so we're going to talk about the different episode types. And for, the, for this, I'd like each of you to give me, maybe not it fits your favorite, it's great, or a favorite type of Star Trek episode that can go from any any series, or maybe it goes across different series. And we'll start with Al. What is your favorite type of Star Trek episode? Uh, so, I mean, I enjoy all types of episodes, but the ones that really hook me the most are like these scientific mysteries, specifically ones that have to do like with space being weird. Um, I, I love the idea that um, space is this blank canvas uh, that we have to explore and to tell stories with. And uh, whenever a new anomaly shows up or whenever Voyager talks about a new type of radiation that's coming from a nebula, like that type of stuff just like hooks me in um, because it's made up science that we try to connect to real science. And I just really like that type of storytelling. Next question is gonna be on people's favorite type of radiation. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> I wrote um, that section, so I was like, <laughs> um, JD, how about you? What's your favorite type of Star Trek episode? I really like space opera, um, like, you know, like from movies like Fifth Element and like Star Wars. But with Star Trek, I just love how like grand the universe is. Like, um, one of my favorite episodes is actually Schisms, where they encounter essentially Lovecraftian entities that are experimenting on the crew. And it's all about the crew having to like, send Riker in to rescue other kidnapped members and come back. Uh, for me, I just feel like Trek really nails it in a way that other shows don't. Because in other shows, it's like, oh, I'm going to go in there and we're going to have a shootout and I'm going to pull my sword and kill a whole bunch of people. And with Star Trek, it's more like, all right, we've tried, we've tried diplomacy. Let's try science to get our friends out. And if that doesn't work, well, well, here's your phaser. And I like how they, the thinking comes first and not just going in and blowing people away. Very cool. Yeah, that's not a sword. That's a betalith. Come on, people. Um, <laughs> what show are you on? Uh, um, Michael, how about you? What's your favorite episode type? 
Um, I like soft science episodes that are rich in character development. What I mean by that is anthropology, archaeology, social, cultural studies. I think about um, two episodes that come to mind. One is Inner Light, the famous TNG episode where uh, Captain Picard was knocked out for 20 minutes but had to live the lifetime because a species wanted to pass on their cultural heritage to him. Um, and that that you, you're watching the entire thing, and by the time it's over, you're like, wow. Not one phaser was fired, not one photon torpedo was fired, and yet I was engrossed. And the other one that I think about, because I'm a big Voyager fan, is, and it, this one's an easy episode to remember, because it's season seven, episode seven, and it's about seven of nine, when the doctor had to get tra put into her body to hide. And all you did the whole time was just, he, he was living the experience in a female body. Like, it was just this hilarious, it ended up being a great comedy episode, but also it was such a great character development episode for both of them. And again, no phasers fired. So that's my, my favorite of those soft science episodes. No phasers fired. I, I, I love that as a sort of sum up point um, because there's so many episodes in Star Trek. I don't, I don't know, somebody needs to run the totals. Maybe somebody has of how many episodes there are where there's no phasers fired. And I bet it's more than there is those where they are. I bet you it's more. Um, okay, uh, so what we'll do now is we're going to jump a little bit into game itself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take each one of the episode types that you guys talked about, and we're going to kind of have each, all of you weigh in on them. So starting with Al, you were talking about anomalies, anomalies, space being weird. So how do we run an anomaly type of space being weird type of episode using Star Trek Adventures. What makes the system good for it? And what kind of advice would you have for setting up that type of episode and running that type of episode? And uh, JD and Michael, you both get to weigh in on this episode type before we go to yours. So think about it, but we'll start with Al since it's his baby. Oh. Uh, so one of the really cool things about the 2D20 system in general is just like how in other uh, games, you know, you see um, like character attributes and like hit points and armor class and things like that. Uh, well, in 2D20, uh, they've done something similar for things that are non-combat called extended tasks. Uh, and essentially, it's like w trying to solve a mystery or trying to do something awesome. Um, but it has like a work track that you need to follow and fill in just as you would hit points for a bad guy or something like that. Um, so I think when we start telling a story uh, about a weird science thing in space, um, you treat it almost like it's a mystery, right? You, you, you like uh, do something strange in the beginning uh, and start giving uh, the characters chances to explore, uh, to use their sensors, to have discussion among each other um about different things that they see because uh someone who's in charge of security might come up with different information than someone who is in charge of science uh or someone that's in charge of the medical department um so what i like to do is i like to uh you know give them this weird thing let them like interact with it and get different bits of information and then i step back and let them all sit together and discuss uh, and those discussions, what comes through those uh, is always uh, the best part of the game. Yeah. And what's fun about Star Trek Adventures, lean into the traits and the tropes, I say. So one of the mechanics of the game is traits where you can create an advantage to help you with what, like what I was talking about, that work track. And, and 
why that's important, especially if you base it off the tropes of Star Trek, is anything can fly. A skilled game master is not fixed on a certain solution. They really want to have happen what Al talked about. People sit there, discuss it, and maybe use the deflectors in a cool way, use a radiation in a cool way. Oh, I know about quantum blah, blah, techno babble. And so it's a really fun game because you can bring in these traits and these tropes. And me as a game master, when I watch my players do it, when they come up with some crazy stuff, I just laugh. I'm like, okay, let's go with it. Let the dice decide now. And I think the game is really open and flexible for that. I agree. And something that I think is incredible with the way that Star Trek Adventures handles it is that you don't need a PhD and like, you know, in advanced quantum mechanics and all of that. I mean, it, there are times when you have to, you know, go straight face, say, hey, I'm reversing the polarity on the uh, power grid, which is essentially you turned it off. <laughs> but but it's, the nice thing about Star Trek is that the, the science and the physics is as hard as, and as crunchy as you want it to. I mean... It, I'm not saying that in your games, you know, you you just fudge the details, but if there's a chance for your player to do something cool, then Star Trek really does allow for it. I mean, we've seen episodes where, like, they turn, like, tricorders into, like, you know, advanced subspace radios and where they use um, phasers as bombs to try to get into ships. So I just really like the fact that with Star Trek, there's really nothing outside the realm of possibility. So... I want to follow up on something uh, JD mentioned there and uh, Michael as well, I guess, was the techno babble. So for somebody who maybe has not watched every episode of Star Trek and does not remember the name of every ship and how every subsystem works, do you guys have any tips on creating that techno babble in a way that, like, for somebody who can improvise but at the same time sound kind of plausible yeah and any of you jump yeah, in. My, my advice is going to actually come directly from dr aaron mcdonald the science advisor for all of the tv shows so we know her she's come on the show several times on our uh, on our podcast continuing conversations and she, and we've asked her that exact same question who better to ask right and she um says try to find a comparison with something people already know. So I'm going to go into one of the episodes she worked on, and it was the cosmic, the quantum zipper, or no, the subspace zipper that came out in Strange New Worlds during the musical Rhapsody episode. Mm -hmm. and, and she was like, well, something had come apart. So we sat around all talking, like she was thinking like, well, what, how do you put things back together? She's looking around and, oh, zipper, right? And, and so if you can explain it to your players like that, then they can think about all the things a zipper can do, or maybe we need to add a fissure button or something. But giving out some common words and then just letting them break that apart with their common knowledge is a great way to make it techno babble without much effort. That's amazing advice. Al or JD, anything to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I just as a follow up, I mean, uh, you know, if you try to say something, the GM will be flexible enough to uh, clarify and uh, make sure that it works. Uh, so I will often say, oh, so do you mean like you want to drop an anchor, but in subspace so that you want to tear yourself away from the anom um, anomaly, right? Um, so as long as you dictate what you want to do uh, as light with the science or as heavy with made up words as you want, GMs will clarify, okay, so is that like doing this? Um, and, and like Michael said, we, we always like to compare it to something that you see in real life. Um, yeah. So it's called pulling they, it Tom Paris. Tom right. Paris. Tom Paris in Voyager is the king of, wait, do you mean this? Because he was the common guy. He was the common man. So he always would do that. 
Right. We always want that every episode has someone that represents us, the viewer, who has slightly less knowledge on some of these ideas. So um, so that's kind of uh, the way that I would roll with it. And, and one last thing, of course, when all else fails, just use the techno babble generator that we have in the books. You could roll dice and decide on techno babble and throw that in. Oh, very cool. Very cool. That is a good idea. Sorry, JD. Um, the advice I have, which is advice that I've used heavily and that I've also told other people when I throw in the game, is that if you um, don't have something pre-prepared and you're worried that your players aren't gonna are gonna laugh or it's not gonna fit the game, it's perfectly okay to have it be like we're unable to identify the energy readings, Captain, or it's some kind of power source that's completely unknown to us, and then slowly build into discovering what it is. So don't feel like like that moment you have to have like, you know, like a sentence of 33 syllable words ready to go. Sometimes that can also build the mystery where it's like, oh, it's a power source you haven't seen before. That's weird. Zach, it sounds like we might have a question or a comment. Absolutely. So so before we get away from this particular discussion, going back to Al's original um, statement on this, um, chat has a question, which was, you're Al, you're talking about extended tasks. And chat wants to know, do you or have you run extended tasks in the background without expressly stating it to the players? Uh, so sometimes. I think it depends on the scenario because it does require um, – characters to roll dice to see how much work is being applied. Um, so that is totally something you can do. I'll be honest, I try to be upfront with my players uh, and let them know uh, that uh, things are happening. There is a more advanced mechanic um, uh, called extended consequences in the game. Um, and those are designed for the G, it's basically the GM is rolling on an extended task track. Um, so that's something that can be done in the background that the characters might not know about. Um, but when when there is something that they are exploring or trying to figure out, I like to have them interact with that element and just be upfront with them. Um, same thing with any task that I ask the characters to do. I, I say, this is a difficulty three task. You guys are trained professionals. You're the best of the best. You figure out how you would best use your resources to attempt that task. All right. Thanks, Zach. That's um, and thank good you. Uh, excellent question. Really good question. Uh, extended tasks are always an interesting thing because it's a heavily mechanical thing. And uh, Star Trek Adventures, it's a I found when I got into it, it's like, oh, it's 2D20. It's going to be sort of light and narrative and fluffy. And then I'm like, oh, my God, this can get so mechanical. I like it. Yeah. And, and one one more thing, like if you are doing you don't have to do that extended track like all the way right away until it's done, right? You might roll on that once during act one of your story. You might roll on it a second time during act two. And then act three, when you're moving towards, you know, your climax, that's when, you know, they're really interacting with the end of it. Uh, there's lots of flexibility within that extended task system. You can add time limits to it and, and all sorts of fun stuff. Literally, we've had extended tasks go multi-game too. Yep. We've had to go, we've had extended tasks cross over three, episodes so you could you could do allow one role each episode if they're if they're pursuing a long campaign mystery you, you know what that's that just blew my mind guys because um i've i'll be honest i've struggled a little bit because sometimes when you go in and extend a task it becomes such a mechanical thing for such a prolonged time that sometimes it like takes you out of the action a little bit. So this idea that you can actually spread your extended task 
over multiple things and do other things in between, just like light bulbs going off in my head or supernovas or something. Um, Zach, we have more questions. One more question for this for this particular topic here. Um, uh, Cape and Mask asks, how do you deal with players that want to pass the buck in, in which they have other departments or other people on the ship solve issues? Sure. So, um, so there's also a mechanic called assisting uh, in this game, uh, and you can assist other characters based off of your own stats. So I could be a commander uh, that, you know, or the captain uh, that might be assisting the scientist because I'm giving them commands or something like that. So then the scientist rolls the task and then I help them um, by assisting that role. So I would encourage the assist mechanic. Uh, during that um, when, uh, and the other thing is once you put the time limit on there, if you start doing intervals, if everybody's not participating, um, things can go bad quickly. Mike, what do you think? I was gonna, there's a little session zero conversation I think I'd have to have with the players. And I'd say, hey, this is a show about your characters. And you're going to see that even though, you know, you have Spock, McCoy and Kirk always going on the away team together and it makes no sense because, you know, they have 400 other capable people there. It's their show. And we're about to see how they get out of jams using this amazing Starfleet training that they have. So what I suggest um, to the person who asked the question is it sounds like you need to design at least one campaign where they're the away team stranded. And you know, don't let them know so that they don't bring an assistant with them. Just say, hey, you're on Ryza for something and go to the beach. And then all of a sudden, boom, their ship's gone. You need to really have that session zero conversation and then give them some practice. Like, do you see you can pilot a ship even if you're a doctor with medicine one? because you have that basic training because it sounds like it's a confidence thing they're afraid maybe to make mistakes so you're going to have to do a little confidence building with your players to get them to in a position where they stop calling everybody uh, every other department to solve the problems because they are the stars of the show and you can even build extended tasks so that they don't call out specific um like specific things right it could be just a generic extended task that everybody's working on and then they can use what they're best at so there's lots of flexibility within the system um and, and i would just encourage that person that wants to pass the buck that hey uh this is your story to tell you know jd see i am like the on the opposite spectrum where i'm sort of like oh are, are they having the crew do all the tasks for them take the crew away like We've seen episodes where it's like, oh, this is our head of, you know, xenolinguistics. He'll translate this in no time. Oh, he's been shocked by an alien ray. He's now down. It's now up to you to solve it. Or like you said, putting him on a planet where, there's a, where they crash land and they don't have the ship. I'm not saying do that every time because it wouldn't be realistic if you were like, oh, I'm the head of engineering. I guess I handle every repair personally. But if the players start to lean into very heavily, I'm not saying kick the, like, you know, the crutch out from underneath them. But kind of like how when if you're in D and D, if you're going into battle and you don't have your equipment for some reason, it suddenly becomes a lot scarier. It, you can use this as an opportunity to heighten the tension and make for a very interesting session where it's like, yeah, you're the head engineer, and now all the other crewmen are down with some disease. You do have to fix the ship, which has just been battered by Klingon disruptor blasts. So yeah. that can be a really exciting episode for them. And there's one last mechanic too. Remember, we got you only get a limited amount of support die. I mean, you can only call in so many people. And then you have 
that spend your threat to create complications to not only like early on force them to bring in all their support characters if they're they, they're just using that all the time but then dump your threat on getting rid of those support characters blocking them out locking them behind bulkheads so so get creative with the use of mechanics so that in acts two and three they're the stars of the show and have no other choice well no i don't never say no other choice i don't believe that it's a creative game we don't we don't railroad anyone do, do we not believe in no win scenario <laughs> um okay um awesome so we're gonna jump over to our second um episode type so jd you had brought up space opera which is uh, something i really love as well um so tell us about running a space opera type of episode using star trek adventures i mean it, it it's a i know it's a big topic because it's an opera but uh, yeah leave it um up. For people who are unfamiliar, space opera refers to um, any kind of story where there's like it's grand in scale, where it's not just like focused on like a room full of people or a ship full of people. Space opera stories usually involve multiple planets, multiple governments, um, maybe a long chase across the galaxy and deals with matters that are like really grand. Like one of the episodes I was thinking of was the chase where um, the Enterprise has to go around the uh, Alpha Quadrant finding these worlds to find out what created life in the galaxy. And with stories like that, it's it brings the players into like a mystery that's greater than what they're dealing with right now. And my best advice is actually like, you know, it's gonna sound weird. It's like the things you shouldn't do with a space opera because we all have like really big stories. I mean, you know, it's it, it just happens whenever you sit down where you can, you can very quickly, you know, have your imagination run away with itself. And it's like, oop, Third Federation Klingon War just happened. But when you're planning your space opera story, the one thing to remember is that it's more important than knowing the ins and outs of some culture you've based off Tsarist Russia or knowing more about like, you know, the entire history of the Iconian Empire. Players really get excited for space opera stories, at least in my experience, when they buy into it, when they embrace the tension and when they like, if there's a little clock at the back of their head saying, hey, we have to cross the Romulan neutral zone to deliver this like, you know, secret, you know, um, Romulan official to some planet. And now we have we're we're dealing with alien cultures. We're dealing with tense political situations and you just have to make the players feel like, hey, this is like this will affect the outcomes of like millions upon billions of people. And now you're involved. And how are you, what's your role in this? Like, what's your place? And nobody really wants to be like, oh, I was, you know, the third crewman to the left during the Kittimer Accords. Um, have the players, like, they don't have to be like generals and lords. They can just be like, hey, our ship, for some reason, only our warp drive is working in this sector. We have to figure out, like, why is the radiation from this wormhole disrupting warp travel? And now the Romulans are blaming us? And players will immediately feel like, hey, I may be like an ensign, I may be a lower decker, but now I'm involved in some pretty serious stuff. And that makes players really excited. Very cool. Uh, Michael, Al, any thoughts on running space operas? It sounds big, it is. And so my suggestion, if you're a new GM and you wanna have a space opera handed to you that you can have a lot of fun with, the Shackleton Expanse Guide is amazing. So they designed, and this includes great 
um, some of the great authors like uh, Scott Pearson and J uh, Jim Johnson and, and Dayton Ward, these are novelists for Star Trek. They designed the pieces you need. Derek Tyler Attico, who just did the autobiography of Cisco, um, he's in there. He he wrote some of the modules. Kelly Fitzpatrick. So so that has all you need in order to build this epic adventure. And I've watched how other people play it, and it goes in different directions. So you'll make it your own. But if it's if you and then when you're done, to, uh, to John's point is, when you're done, you're going to know how to design the space opera, because that was really a really good tool that STA came out with. That's cool. Yeah, I like to say, I like to say like a cinematic scope, right? This is multiple episodes in a season. Um, the big thing is determining what the stakes are and how does the character or how do the characters or and or their ship relate to those stakes and like jd mentioned how can we make this important for everybody on board the ship um you know i love the idea that that yours you, for some reason your ship's the only ship that's got a warp drive right now you know um they've done it with discovery having their spore drive they're the only ship that can get from here to there in, in a quick enough time right now the stakes become real for those people uh that are on board that ship and th th those stakes can be um can be you know a general stakes in that oh well this means that the Federation could fall. It could be very personal stakes, right? Like my sister was just killed by the Zindi weapon down in Florida when it fired, you know, um, like though, like if you make, uh, and I would argue that having a personal stake um, is very meaningful to the players in the game. So if you can find one or two of their backstories and somehow, you know, have that tied to the stakes of the story, it's going to be even better. Yeah. So I think one of the sort of, really good things that I'm taking away from uh, your guys' really cool thoughts on this is that it, it, space opera is big, but you don't necessarily have to, it doesn't have, you don't have to set up your game as here's 300 ships in a system facing off each other. It could literally be two ships on the edge of space and one of them is Romulan Warbird. I re, I, I'll, I'll let you know, I rewatched uh, Captain Picard talking to Sila uh, sort of on YouTube ahead of uh, ahead of this, just as mental prep. So, cause that's my favorite episode. Um, but um, you could just have a Federation ship and a Romulan ship facing off and just the repercussions could be big. The stakes could be big but your battlefield doesn't necessarily have to be so i like how you put that too because what you want to design with space opera too is things are happening events are moving into the players they may feel like it's moving faster than we can't contain the universe however they have one key to solving everything that's the point of space opera is you have one key and if they fail you know make a couple where they fail and something really bad happens so now they are the solution they have to take the next step to get through it and and that's and so all this going on around them like our game we played the you know when mars was destroyed in picard that was a huge canon event for us or 2387 the destruction of the hobus supernova big canon events and we know they're going on but they can do one thing to save the day and that really made it epic for them um, I do want to be before moving on to our next episode type, I want to talk about because I think this is probably the best place to talk about is incorporating ship combat. So or ship combat is a huge part of Star Trek Adventures. But I know for myself as a kind of as a new when I was a new D DM just trying to starting out, I'm like, 
oh my god i got runnership combat it's kind of big it's uh you know it's a whole new sort of thing in star trek adventures any tips for when do you want to bring in ship combat and sort of how do you want to you know get into it especially if you're starting out and any any of you are welcome to jump in so i would say start start small for sure um and you got to remember there's a difference in scale here right i'm a i'm a character that can do these things and some of those things can manipulate what my ship does uh so i'm still interacting as a character among my crew um but you know i might push the button that fires the phasers i might push the button that regenerates shields and so on and so forth but i'm still interacting with my crew and that might be the captain's giving me an order to fire the torpedoes you know things like that is still going on um, so there's like this scale happening, uh, and uh, I would argue that if you want to try it for the first time, do one ship against one ship. Um, the other thing to remember is that very rarely does ship combat end with a ship like physically blown up. Like you can count on your fingers the number of times that that has actually happened. More often than not, it's left a wreck and, you know, things like that. Or someone surrenders or flees. Um, so I, I would just remind the players of that uh, when uh, you are running a space combat. And um, when you're running a space combat, if it's your first time doing it or if it's your first time your players are doing it, don't be afraid to throw a really one-sided matchup at them from the beginning. Like don't have it be a galaxy class versus a shuttle but just have it be like hey you've encountered an old war satellite or you know maybe it's like um a ferengi marauder in like an old Klingon bird of prey and let the players feel comfortable before like immediately challenging their their skill level very cool all right um we'll move on to our third episode type and michael this was yours and this was you know the inner light, the sort of soft science. I really like the term soft science and kind of social studies kind of episode where it's or just social based. Um, so kick us off. Yeah. So to me, the way I would launch this and where we've had the most fun of it is get an NPC involved to so find maybe a diplomat an ambassador a scientist who's exploring fringe scientists sciences maybe being brought onto the show or onto the ship or you're visiting a colony and then give that character also a social issue to go along with it give them some sort of problem maybe a family connection impending death impending sickness um and 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 then lay that science problem under there, like give us some, make it simple. But um, we've seen it, I just could give an example, like we have a Romulan ship captain on ours and where we really push it is his relationship with the Federation when people don't trust him. And so we have a lot of diplomatic issues and then Al plays the first officer who's a human and is kind of, I got my captain's back. And I can't tell you how they, they write themselves in this. All I do is bring in an NPC who's uh, uh, biased and, prejudiced against Romulans and that sets the whole thing so that when the action starts you have this they want to get back to that they don't want to do the action they don't <laughs> want to go down they actually want to deal with this guy and that always is a win so for a soft science game you're going to have a little science maybe based off oh one of the things I do too is I know 
what my care what my people like in real life my non my players i know what they like exploring in real life so i oftentimes make it something around that like atmospheric stuff or teaching or learning or training because i know what my guys like so i can still keep them interested over there but then i just have this butthead of an npc over here that becomes the crux of a social science game very cool uh jd or L, anything to add I mean, I, I, I love designing new cultures that have different belief systems or or understandings uh, than what uh, we would be used to. Uh, you know, I love doing uh, things where uh, you have to figure out how communicate how to communicate. Like, you know, I mean, think about Darmok, like, that, you know, s such a cool social science episode, you know, um, but but like it even goes further than that too right because we can talk about politics we can talk about you know um philosophy like measure of a man you know that episode was was soft science to the t and on so many different levels um that you know it, it, it it's uh we described it as kind of um being able to use your uh your insight instead of your reasoning to figure out how to interact uh, with either this this butthead NPC or the, these um, you know uh, alien artifacts that were left behind, um, you know things like that. Um, I, I I think is uh, it's a really fascinating character type that sometimes people don't gravitate towards um, because it's a lot more open, I think, and a lot less defined. And, and they don't realize that those are some of their favorite episodes and characters, whether it's Quark behind the bar or Luxana Troy or Garrick. I mean, these are some of our favorite characters. And again, they're very, the players are getting involved with them or the other characters are getting involved with them because they are the mystery, figuring out this person and what their motive and agenda is. And what I usually tell players is like, there's no bad stat. There's sometimes bad approaches. So if you're a finely tuned engineering machine, you know, you might feel like, oh, I can't do diplomacy. I know circuitry. And it's like, oh, well, how would an engineer who needs to solve this situation, how would they address it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like civil engineering is is a soft science, right? Uh, right? You know, understanding where the populations are, um, you know, on the city. Um, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, maybe uh, the politics of a situation, right? The, like the global politics of this new society. And like maybe uh, you've got a soft science focus in politics and you learn that there's some weird new type of gerrymandering that's happening among the civilization and, and so on and so forth. I mean, we know that Star Trek is at its best when it's a reflection of what's going on in our real lives. And I think that the soft sciences are a really great way to send those messages. Yeah, and, and remember what you could do too. What I've seen as a habit is when you do these and you have a strong NPC and you talked about a little science and had a strong NPC, those strong NPCs end up becoming your recurring character. And I think about Inner Light going back to Picard, which was a great episode. Remember that because that was such an emotive episode and such a life-changing experience for him later on when he's playing his song and i forget the name of the actress who played the woman on the piano in the next episode that became the crux of the story was romance now and then what did you do put her in danger the npc is in that center of danger he's fallen in love with this person who has a connection with this past experience he had and everyone just wants to get her out and save her right and that to me it was it was such a good build-up um for a beautiful story Fantastic. So I kept one particular episode type or topic, or maybe I cheated a little bit because there's different episode types that fall under this, because I wanted very much to talk about this, 
because I know that some of you may have had a hand in this particular book, which is the lower all of us did. Yes. All of us did. Yes. yes, all of you did. And it's amazing. I remember running around Gen Con, I need to get my copy. I need my, to get my copy. So I want to ask you, and uh, we'll go in whichever order you guys like, but how do you run a lower decks episode using Star Trek Adventures? I mean, I know you guys literally wrote a book about it, but you know, let's talk. A, you know, give us the five minute versions. Who wants? Who wants to start? Um, well, for me, uh, I actually do write a lot of comedy, and when um, when it got announced, and I was just like, Jim, we should do this, and Jim's like, Well, we're going to do it, but we want to do it right, and more importantly, how do you do like how do we do the thing you asked? Like, how do we run a comedic game without it just turning into like you know fart jokes and everything, and the sh the setting for lower decks is like it sounds like it's going to be sarcastic and crass and making fun of star trek but then you watch it and you realize it's it's sarcastic and they do point out you know occasionally the logic errors but it's it's uplifting it punches up and you know occasionally you cringe because you know you're sort of like oh this makes no sense why is this a thing but then there are times when it's like oh my god they just reference like the horgon on risa this is this is incredible <laughs> like it, it works in this the plot and when you're running a lower decks game, like I know, and, you know, sometimes it can get out of control. Like I ran one recently and we ended up just telling a whole bunch of puns for 10 minutes. And then it's like, but we should really stop those Romulans. <laughs> um, so but really just the important thing about this is that Star Trek uh, lower decks is about loving the franchise and like all of it, even the bad parts. And, you know, taking stock and being like, wow, they're on a galaxy class ship. And there's cetacean ops where there's dolphins who or beluga whales that are helping run the ship. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And one of them needs a favor from you. Can you help them? And you just embrace the weirdness of Star Trek to a level that you didn't really think about before. And then boom, you just you move on. Like you you have fun, you tell a great story. And Really, the, a lower deck setting, like it's serious because even in the cartoon, you know, they they have huge stakes that could affect like, you know, a bunch of lives. Like when um, the evil admiral created those AI ships, like, you know, he created weapons of war, essentially. And the show goes immediately from making jokes about it to, oh, they're destroying a space station. That's 100,000 people. We have to save them. So yeah. I, and I, I, I know it's going to sound weird, but watch how I build. A funny story you start three words explore the mundane explore the mundane find the most boring thing that someone could be doing on a, as a lower decker on the ship and make them do it and then if you think about it when we're at work we're bored sometime but we always joke around even about our most boring jobs you have accountants laughing about excel spreadsheets wow how boring is that right so so if you if you explore the mundane Two, two examples. Once I put my characters into a cooking competition. Hilarious. Another time they wanted to play lower deckers that were a horda, an exocomp, and a cetacean, a dolphin. And, and just hand them it and have them do something so mundane. And it becomes really funny because people are so bored, they're going to start cracking jokes and messing around. And then you start throwing complications into these mundane tasks, make them gross, make things blow up, make, give them a Thank HR, Human Resources is the big thing, Lower Decks book. I thought Human Resources the whole time because I'm in Human Resources and we hear all kinds of crazy stories about employees. So create human resource issues. Um, so again, explore the mundane, 
treat it like human resources at work and start blowing up their little tasks that were supposed to be so easy. And you'll see the players, they'll, they'll, they'll get, they'll get cracking on jokes. Yeah. So a couple, a couple of different things. The first thing I always would make sure that I talked with my, uh, my group about what, what level of comedy do they want? Um, what's acceptable comedy versus what's not acceptable comedy? Because remember, comedy is subjective, and not everybody likes the same type of comedy. So, uh, so forcing comedy is is a challenge. I think that uh, what we talk about in the book a lot is, you know, make situations where comedy can spring forth um, instead of forcing something to be comedy. Uh, the the other part is a lot of what the lower decks show does is it subverts expectations right so we've got this big giant monster chasing us and the way to defeat that monster is sometimes something silly right so like i've done this in a game before actually with andrew where there were these big giant monsters chasing them but really the monster just wanted the trail mix that one of the characters had you know what i mean like so so you know you you subvert the expectations because oh god we're gonna die and then when the thing attacks it just steals their backpack and just wanted to eat the the trail mix you know things like that um <laughs> the, the last thing i just want to point out is you can do a lower decks campaign and story without any comedy uh you can like star trek has shown us well that if you want a serious lower decks type of game um, and this lower decks book gives you the the tools with which to do it but i think about like when janeway is on was it the the delta flyer with uh with with all of those lower deckers like mm -hmm. you know that's that that's a really really good episode or when tuvok has to train you know uh the the new people on the ship like as his punishment like those are both lower decker episodes that don't have a ton of comedy in them and that are you know provide pretty serious messages so so i, I think that uh the one thing i i know some people were like well i don't like the lower decks tv show should i get this book uh and and we say absolutely because mm -hmm. we present like uh, michael went through and was finding stuff that uh lower deckers do on navy ships and like all sorts of crazy stuff is in there um you know that that could be part of a serious campaign as well if you wish um so that's something to uh to think about zach yeah so um we've got a couple of minutes here before we've got to wrap up um so chat if you have any more questions this is a great time to do it one thing that i noticed though obviously we brought up the lower decks book for lower decks discussion and i think michael you brought up the shackleton expanse for like hey if you want to run a space opera sort of thing this is a great book for that as we mentioned at the beginning of the this this discussion, there's a lot of Star Trek Adventures books out there. And if someone is brand new, maybe they just picked up the tricorder set or they haven't picked up anything or just the quick start. And they're like, I want to run like the anomaly style stuff that Al was talking about, or I want to do some more soft science um, engagement like like Michael brought up. Um, what are some good uh, uh, books or or adventures that you guys have put out that you would point them to if they want to dive into that sort of content? I want to say we have over, I think, 1,200 different stories available now. So I'm going to go with the free answer first. Sure. Our mission, if you type in mission briefs on Modifius, all the mission brief packs are free. Now, there's some mission briefs that are tucked into some of the purchase products like Lower Decks, Utopia, Planitia, stuff like that not lower decks utopia planitia but but 
all the mission briefs have every kind of genre you want in there from as hard science as you want to as soft science diplomacy pew pew if you're into that so i would say start with the mission briefs yeah i would back that up too um i would say that uh the starter set uh all you know when, whenever you see a starter set i think that uh the design process especially of um uh, the one that we released for Star Trek Adventures, it 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 really was trying to bring all of these stories together. Like there's some archaeology stuff in there, there's some anomaly stuff in there, um, and then there's uh, you know there's like a space opera where you're trying to figure out what's happening with uh, you know I, I don't want to give too much away with with these uh, Romulans that you meet in the first episode, and uh, and, and I think that like. It, it is designed to show all of Star Trek. Um, so if you can get your hands on uh, the the starter set, I, I think that uh, you'll have all of that. And I think it's only like 30 bucks or something like that. Cool. Um, for me, um, I think one of the best, like obviously the mission briefs are excellent and the starter set is also great. Um, the only other advice that I would give is that I know you're kind of looking at like the buffet of all the stuff that we have out right now. Um, just remember that when you're running your Star Trek game, run it how you want to run it like the the entire franchise has anachronisms and they go back on things and you know and weird travel times so you don't have to get it perfect like if your players are having fun and it's in the star trek universe then you're running a star trek game um chris birch i remember when we were doing some of the original like roundtable discussions about what the game was going to be and he kind of said something very profound where he said that we're not trying to make a game that can run a Star Trek game. We're trying to make a game that runs your Star Trek game, where it's you playing the game. This is your adventure. We just want to be the vehicle that gets you there. So obviously, you know, and uh, mission briefs and starter set, excellent places to start. And then pick and choose what you think would be fun. Because in the end, you know, the game master should have fun. The players should have fun. And if you want to run a Delta Quadrant campaign, Delta Quadrant book's excellent. If you want to be on a space station on the unknown, Shackleton Expanse is awesome. Uh, if you are bored, or not even bored, if you're just like, you want to run like a solo RPG, we have the very excellent, you know, Captain's Log. And it's it allows you to play the game and get creative. And I even use it to flesh out like games with other players because it's a great, I, I don't know what I'm going to do for this plot. And then after a couple page turns and some rolls later, it's like, boom, problem sorted. So just whatever you feel like using, use that. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a good way to, I think, bring us back to the beginning kind of of the discussion. And when we talked about, hey, what type of Star Trek episode do you like and how do you run it? Uh, one of the things that one of the GMs I played was early on did is, and they were a massive original series fan, and I've not seen like almost any original series. And they would take episodes they loved for the original from the original series and they would make an episode like it so kind of to what some of you said is like take an episode you love in star trek and then see how do i create that episode for my crew and then take a look at the published products and the published adventures in terms of well how did other people do it and then combine your love for Star Trek and seeing how it's done on the show with the way it was, it's been done in the game. So I think that's kind of a, and um, the system as we kind of heard today, hopefully a little bit allows you to run just about every kind of 
Star Trek episode there is, that's what it's built for, is running. And, and every type of Star Trek episode there isn't, which we still have yet to see. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you want to do the outro there, Zach? Perfect. Yep. I think we're we're right at the end of time here. So we're going to wrap up. As we wrap up, uh, point people to a few things here. First off, there is still content to come in the streaming channel. So uh, if you keep an eye on uh, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Midwest Game Fest, you'll see more content all throughout the rest of uh, Sunday here. Um, we've got some great panelists. Thank you guys for, um, for giving us your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, you you taking time out of your Sunday morning. Um, let's start with Andrew. I know you're not a true panelist, but you were gracious enough to come on and co-host with me. If you were going to send people somewhere or people want to get in touch with you or follow you anywhere, where could they find you? Okay, yeah, I'm Andrew. Uh, thanks very much for Zach for having me and um, getting a chance to talk with these amazing uh, Star Trek folk. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sword Compass, one word, and um, other places under the same thing if you just look for Sword Compass. Perfect. You brought up, Andrew, that you were playing in, I believe, Al's game of Star Trek Adventures. I'm not sure if that's still ongoing or not, but do you mind telling people where they could check that out? I'll let Al talk about Perfect. that. Perfect. Okay, <laughs> Al, go for it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, we're actually building towards our season finale mm -hmm. of Star Trek uh, Forefront on the uh, USS Ginsburg, and that's going to be uh, on uh, Saturday the 6th. Oh, that's this Saturday coming up. Um, Saturday the 16th on Wanderer's Haven, um, which is a Twitch stream. Uh, if you just, uh, if you look, just search up Wanderer's Haven, it'll pop up. Um, and we go live at 9 p.m. Eastern on Saturday with our season finale. So we got some big stuff planned, lots of important decisions to be made. That sounds awesome. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. and, and, and in addition, I'll, if, I'll just go. If you guys want to follow me, uh, GM underscore Admiral on like every social out there. Um, uh, if you want to support me, uh, I released a role-playing game called Sentience based on the 2D20 system. It's like an adjacent to Star Trek Adventures, uh, and that's on uh, Drive-Thru RPG. Just look up Sentience 2D20. You'll get a, a free quick start, a starter set, and then uh, a book of some uh, adventures there as well. Perfect. Uh, JD? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as JK Myth or on Blue Sky as Triceratops because my screen name was taken, so I went with my favorite dinosaur. And I'm on a Star Trek stream uh, called uh, The Voyages Of, where I'm on the crew of the USS Serenitis, and I play Lieutenant Commander Charlie, who's a Saurian. Um, it's a blast, and we're uh, currently um, in between seasons right now. But you can catch up all of us online. And um, yeah, and you can also just if um, you could find my books pretty much anywhere. Uh, so, and it's been a blast working with everybody on Star Trek. It's just, it really like. It's not just me trying to be like, let's play nice with my colleagues. It's if you can see the conversations we have or like the email tangents where we just get excited. And then well, even if you have like a bad idea, someone will come out of nowhere and they'll turn your idea into the greatest idea. And suddenly you're just pumped. So it's been really great working with everyone. Beautiful. Awesome. I love that. All right, uh, Michael. Sure. Easy. Just type in my name, Michael Dismuke in Star Trek, and you'll find it where I'm at all over the place. I'm only on social media really for Star Trek or my day job. Uh, of course, if you want to see us every week, you can watch Continuing Conversations podcast. You can find that on YouTube. Type in Star Trek Adventures Continuing Conversations or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Do that. And I'm all over social media, anything Star Trek Adventures, whether it's Discord, Reddit, Facebook. Um, easy to find me. And one of the 
big things about buying or playing this game, just so you all know, is if you ask a question on social media, one of the creators is going to respond. Like, we're there. So firsthand, we'll help you out, including the game designer, the fantastically brilliant Nathan Dowdell, who uh, created the 2D20 system. He's very accessible. So this is one of the few games where you really get to work with us as creators to build the best game. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, with that, thank you so much for being a part of the Star Trek Adventures panel. Again, continue to watch uh, the content for the rest of the day here on uh, Midwest Game Fest. And tonight, after Midwest Game Fest is over, be sure to check out the World of Game Design Twitch channel, and you'll be able to watch some Dragon Bang going on there. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, everybody, and we'll see you soon.